You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, uh, welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder. So glad that you are here with us this morning to, to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And oh my goodness, we could have gone home after he is worthy, right? But the entire day is worship, including the announcements. All that's included in scripture. When you read the epistles, they talk shop, greetings to this one. Hey, I'm going to come at a certain time. Everything that happens this morning is part of worshiping the Lord. Just a couple of uh, announcements. February 9th, we're having a baptism. If you have not been baptized, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but you have not been baptized, this is the time. Do not wait any longer. Talk to me. I'd love to uh, talk with you about that. And then this morning, we're going to talk about spiritual formation. That's the theme of the message this morning. And I want you to please take a look and think and pray about taking one of these classes, Southway Bible Institute. This is one of the ways that we're formed spiritually to get in the Word at a deeper level and even to, to learn about how to study the Word. In my years in seminary, there was someone who uh, said, I quit two weeks before the first semester was over because I came here to learn about the Bible and I haven't. Really, when I'm not taking anything about a book of the Bible. It's church history, it's theology, it's this, that, and the other. And I said, you know, I, I, at that point I had not. I took, in 94 hours of seminary, I took one class on Philippians. Uh, nothing else was a book of the Bible. And every single week that I go into the pulpit, I take everything from seminary with me. Southway Bible Institute is not just studying a book of the Bible. We're going to study the Gospels in my class this year. Uh, you're going to learn how to read the Gospels, how to understand the Gospels, where they fit in all in the whole corpus of Scripture and where they fit in the New Testament, how to interpret. So there are several other classes. I just want to let, let you know if you're going to take the class on Revelation, it's not going to be exactly what you think. It's not going to be the look at it that you would possibly think about looking how the European powers line up and that type of thing. But reading it and understanding it as the people of the first century would have read it. Don Sandberg, a wonderful teacher, will be leading that class. And several other classes that will be given, so, or a couple of others. So please pray about that and sign up for it. This morning, immediately, or early afternoon, I should say, immediately after the second service, we're going to be holding what will be in 2020 a monthly discovery lunch. If you're new here, Bert's already mentioned it, this is going to be an opportunity for you to meet some of the elders and staff and their families in an informal setting. We're not going to ask you to tell your life story, anything like that. Really, it's your opportunity to ask us questions as much as it is for us to get to know you. Uh, our Grace Connection class is going to be held on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Again, Bert mentioned that. January 25 and 26. And it's going to go into much greater detail about what we believe, how our church leadership is structured, how we function, and the available opportunities for you to use your spiritual gifts 
in the body of Christ. Uh, if this is indeed where the Lord leads you to covenant together with this church, with this family, with this body of Christ, as we seek to follow Jesus' lead as the head of our church, not the elders who are the head of our church, Jesus Christ is the head of our church. The elders seek to follow him. You're working with us, following the lead of the elders, but also helping us to find Jesus' path for us as a church. So sign up in our next steps area, which is in the back left corner of the lobby. You can sign up for the uh, Grace Connection class. Uh, Discovery lunch, if you hadn't planned to stay, that's okay. Stay with us uh, and be with us this afternoon, and we'll take time to get to know one another. So if all of this sounds like we take this stuff seriously, <coughs> it is because... We do. I mean, we try not to take ourselves too seriously, but we take God's word seriously. It's important for you to know if you're thinking about possibly joining together with us to do the Lord's work. Perhaps the outline of our New Year's series will give you an idea of the focus, the, the outline you see on the screen. I don't know about you, but I was really convicted by the message last week about holiness. It's not our natural inclination. And the instant we seek to obey Scripture in our daily walk, we're easily tempted to self-righteousness. And Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the self-righteous. So it's a tricky thing, right? I mean, Tim Keller says, the moment you think you've got humility, you're lost. That's true. The moment you think you've got holiness, you're, you're likely self-righteous in that. So it's a, it's a never-ending pursuit. One of the beautiful things about Jesus' return is that we're not going to have all of those, that angst about, do, have I gotten it just right? Our goal is to relax and let the Lord do it, but there are things that we do that enable the life of Christ to shine through us, and that's what we're talking about today with formation, spiritual formation. Well, one of the biggest challengers as followers of Jesus is to understand how it is that we are formed spiritually. The key is how we are formed. You get this? Not that we are forming ourselves, but Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, is forming us. We're incapable of bringing ourselves to that place of formation that he has designed for us. But it's vital for us to put ourselves in the right place for spiritual formation to occur. It's kind of like a shower. You can't get yourself wet, but you can sure get in the place where the water is, right? The question is, are we going to be formed by Scripture and the covenant community that's what we call the church, the covenant community. We have these folks today covenanted together. They are a part now of what God is doing in this community and in the world through Grace Community Church. And are we going to be formed by Scripture and the covenant community? Or will the culture have its wish and shape us according to its designs, even if we play at Christianity. Our text is Matthew 7, 13 to 29. And several of the thoughts 
this morning are going to come from Kevin Van Hooser's excellent book, Hearers and Doers. Now, it talks about a guide for pastors, but believe me, don't be intimidated by that. This is a great book for anybody. Dr. Van Hooser was David Calvert's primary reader in his Ph.D. Uh, studies. And there is some evidence that Dr. Calvert's dissertation made quite an impression on Dr. Van Hooser's thinking. Uh, if you've been here for a few months, you'll, you'll know that when I ask a question of the text, I say, is it this or is it that? Is it A or is it B? That oftentimes the answer is yes. Those questions involve truth in Scripture that are indicating God is much bigger than we are. And, and Scripture is so full and expansive and, and God is so deep and so much more than we see. For instance, Philippians 4.5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does it mean the Lord is at hand? Does it mean that He's near? He sees everything. He knows everything that's going on. He's imminent so very close to us, or that his return is imminent, that Jesus is at hand, Jesus return is hand, at hand. The answer is yes. There is no need to limit the meaning when it could well mean either one, and both are biblical concepts. It's a both and truth. But now, both and truth can only go so far. Uh, Hindus believe in both and. This is true, that is true. Um, this God is God, and this God is God. It's okay. I can believe in all gods. That's both and. It's more Eastern thinking than Western. Western thinking tends to be either or. And Scripture was written in Palestine, right where the crossroads of the, those thought processes meet and sort of intermingle. Either or truth, though, is very much a part of the major doctrines of scripture today's text is a perfect example of contrasting god's way versus society's way culture's way it's it, it contrasts the way of god for salvation with our attempt to do the work of god in our own way pay attention as we read through our text in just a moment to four sets of either or truths that Jesus uses to close the Sermon on the Mount. All four metaphors that Jesus employs for life's biggest decisions point to the same truth. Either you're in or you're out. And if you're in, you're all the way in. Perfection? No. Commitment? Yes. Serious? Yes. Pursuit, yes. Rest, trust, all of those, yes. Your decisions, and this is a great time. I consider this Sunday to be the first Sunday of the year. Students are back. This is our New Year sermon, even though we're in a series. Today is really the day. We are to make the decisions, called to make the decisions, that will make all the difference in how we think, speak, and live our lives. Most of the message is going to be application to the truth that is found here rather than a close exposition of the text, which is our more normal preaching uh, focus on Sunday morning. Matthew 7, 13 through 29 is our text. 
Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? I will be reading from the English Standard Version. The Sermon on the Mount, which begins with the Beatitudes. If you're in home group this week, you're going to see how that makes all the difference in interpreting this section as well. But it ends with <coughs> the, the, the Beatitudes, and it, or begins with the Beatitudes, it ends with these four warnings. Jesus is speaking. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the disease, diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a disease bear bad fruit. I'm sorry, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of the Father is the one who does not trust his his own, his or her own good works, but the works that Jesus has done through dying on the cross for us. So, the one who goes to heaven is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. <clears throat> and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes, their normal Bible teachers. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> burn your heart into our words and change us with the imperishable seed that brings life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, BC. Now, if you were to encounter 
these verses that we have just read without the greater context. You may think <laughs> that Jesus is saying, make sure you're good enough to go to heaven. But if, you read, if you've read the entire Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice that everything follows the Beatitudes <clears throat> in Matthew 5, 3-12, where blessing is conferred on those who mourn over sin and who are poor in spirit and who trust the Lord and hunger after righteousness that His Word assures those who believe. For us, that means we who believe the gospel or the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For those of us who believe that, when we repent of our sin and we acknowledge that our only hope of heaven, as was asked to the new members today, is trusting what Jesus did on the cross, dying in our place, taking God's judgment that was rightly headed towards us. When we repent, when we acknowledge in our hearts Jesus as Lord, and when we say it with our lips, then we are saved and belong to the category of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because of how good we have been, but because of Jesus' righteousness. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus encourages all who hear to believe. And the kind of belief he is talking about is a wholehearted, whole life belief. So here's a question. Is the gate at the beginning of the Christian life or at the end of the Christian life? Well, you can make a really good case for either one, especially when you compare the passage that is very similar in the, in the Gospel of Luke. You can make a, 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 a case for either one. Either way, it is clear that the way and the gate are connected, indicating that when one makes a profession of faith, his or her life is going to confirm and affirm that profession of faith. We're not going to just say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm with Jesus, everything's good, and then live any way that we want to. It's going to make a difference in the way we live. It, it's another way of saying, faith without works is dead. Although, again, the gospel is clear, the New Testament is entirely clear, that whether we enter heaven or not is dependent upon what Jesus has done, not upon our good works. By the time we reach the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, we have no trouble agreeing with Jesus that the way or the path that leads to eternal life is not the easy way. It is hard, in fact. It's not the path of least resistance, nor is it what we want it to be, what we make it or want it to be by saying, well, I just believe Indeed, such thinking, which is encouraged by an overemphasis on the very important doctrine of the priesthood of the believers, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, is almost always the case. It's a great doctrine, the priesthood, that we can go directly to God, and Jesus is the only one that stands between us and God. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and, and guides us individually. But when you overemphasize that, then, hey, it's whatever you want it to be. You can make it whatever you want to be. And when you say, well, I just believe this or that, too many times that belief has been reduced to culturally 
to a culturally acceptable religious view. The problem with culturally acceptable religion is it's going to be different tomorrow than it is today. We don't know what the culture is going to be okay with tomorrow. But you can assure, you can be sure of this, it's going to be different. And it's never going to be enough for you to say, well, look, that seems to be important to a lot of Christians. It's not that big a deal to me. You're just going to keep moving. They're going, to, they're going to move you right along. There's a fundamental difference between Christianity and the secular world in which we find ourselves living as elect exiles. When we follow Jesus, we are building our lives on the rock where consistency and stability thrive. Notice, it's not the one who hears Jesus' words that is why but the one who hears and obeys Jesus' words. Immediately following these verses, the metaphor is completed by the contrasting disaster awaiting the foolish man's house when the storms come. Don Carson had this to say about verses 24 to 27, quote, A wise person represents those who put Jesus' words into practice. Those who pretend to have faith or who have a mere intellectual commitment or who enjoy Jesus in small doses. You get that? Enjoy Jesus in small doses are foolish builders. When the storms of life come, their structures fool no one. Above all, not God. Close quote. So with Jesus' words from Matthew 7 ringing in our ears, this is a good place to begin to make application for today's theme of foundation or formation, spiritual formation, beginning with make up your mind about authority. Jesus or self. We like to slide into things. Allison and I are very different people. You know, she's like my sister who was with us this week for a little while. We had a death in the family, and my sister flew up from Fort Lauderdale. And Sabra said, I, why talk about it when you can do it? Just to, let's don't sit around and talk about it. Well, I like to talk about it. I'm more philosophical, you know. I kind of like to give it time and then think about things. And she likes to get it done. Well, Jesus says, here's the decision. It's before you. Make your mind up. What's it going to be? This way or that way? Don't let that go to your head, Tally. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm in big trouble, but let's go. It's difficult for us to understand just how astonished the people who first heard Jesus' words would have been. They were used to rabbis saying things like, As Rabbi Hillel has said about the words of the prophet Isaiah, much like I just quoted Don Carson moment. Let me tell you what so-and-so said about this verse. But Jesus didn't speak that way. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had this to say from Matthew 5. You have heard that, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. We all know that, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you that everyone who is angry 
will be liable to judgment. So in other words, murder is more than just an action. It's a heart <coughs> issue. It, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus was saying it's, it's not about keeping the letter of the law, but living by the spirit of the law. Who says that? God. That's who. Look, if we can, can't keep the law that was written in the Old Testament, what hope do we have of never being upset with our brothers and sisters and angry with our brothers and sisters? My goodness, it's a good thing that God looks at Jesus' righteousness instead of ours. Nonetheless, if we hear and obey Jesus' words, we're building our houses, our homes, on the rock. I do not need to inform you of the number of messages you receive every day that identify you as the most important person in the world. You can be anybody you want to be. Follow your dreams, follow your hearts, because you deserve the best Nobody should tell you who you can be and who you can't be. <clears throat> and if they do, you deserve to remove that person from your life because you deserve to be happy. And then Jesus says in Luke 14, 26 and following, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is using this hyperbole here, and it was especially in the Semitic world of the first century, was a, it was hyperbole that was used to say not that you should hate other people, but that your love for Jesus has to be so great that every other relationship pales in comparison. And remember, we're doing the same thing for ourselves. We, we say, look, I don't even value my own life. I live for Christ. This call to discipleship is an extreme call. So it's time for you to decide who's going to be boss this year? Jesus or you? I'll give you just a few moments. Think about Speaking of disciples, the second point is remember, disciples are formed by God's word in covenant community. Do not be fooled by those who tell you that they care nothing about what others think and that they're simply trying to make their own way in the world. We are designed for community, we all need community, and we will all find it one way or the other, even if it's just gathering people together who will follow your lead and believe and 
affirm what you think and do. But God has designed the church to be the called out assembly of his people, his covenant community. Look, I don't think that I could do better for this point than just simply to read Colossians 3, 12 to 17. In verse 11, he says, All barriers have been broken down, slave and free, male and female, barbarian, Scythian. We're all one in Christ. And then verse 12, he tells us how we're supposed to live. Look at the way God's has designed the church family to grow, even giving us opportunities to forgive one another, which is difficult to do in a really small house church with three or four of your best friends, you know, where there are no elders and deacons. God has called the church to be his light, and he's designed it in a particular way. Now just look at this plan that he has for us. Put on then... As God's, and think about this, by the way, mostly in covenant community, not just as individuals, but as we're doing this together. Most of these things are done in community, not just in your own. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God has called you holy, so you don't have to worry about achieving holiness. He's already called you that. You are holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, then take it before the church and set that person straight. No. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, rule in your midst is what he's talking about. We read this verse and we say, oh Lord, I want the peace of Christ in my heart. He's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in the body. And only as we agree on all the things that our new members agreed this morning, as we agree on those things, that's where peace and unity come. That's why membership is such a long process here. And we've got others, by the way, who will be joining very soon, who we just weren't able to make all the details work uh, to get that pre prepared for today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your, your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do. In word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. Third, employ biblical principles and metaphors to assist the shaping of the ways in which you understand and live in the world. 
In his classic work, A Secular Age, Charles Taylor coined the term social imaginary. Social imaginary. Get your mind wrapped around that. You're going to th we're going to think about it this morning and in home groups this week. It functions a great deal like we use the term worldview, although it's a bit broader and adds biblical imagination to beliefs and values. I'm going to address that in just a moment. Um, <coughs> but let me ask you, those of you who are parents, you want your children to have a biblical worldview, right? Uh, maybe you want them to have it more than you even want it yourself. You just want to train your children. But look, it rarely works that if you don't really quite measure up, your kids are going to do a lot better next generation. I know they do some things better, but usually it goes the other way. So tighten up in your life and the way that you understand the world. It's important because you're passing that on to your children. Kevin Van Hooser appreciated Taylor's work and he caused the church to develop a healthy, biblical, social imaginary in which we see the world and culture through biblical lenses. It's how we imagine the world to be. And again, we're taking our cues from the culture, from the culture, or we're taking our views from God, Scripture, the covenant community. So how is it that cultures develop their own social imaginary or imagination? We started this service today with a mighty fortress is our God. We don't think about devils around every corner like Martin Luther did. Who was more right, Martin Luther or we, today? I, probably the, the, the devil's not in every single thing, but he's in a whole lot more things than we think. And he set the whole system in place. They saw the world differently than we do. We see the world through 21st century, modern day, enlightenment, postmodern, individualistic eyes. Van Hooser says this about social imaginary, quote, a social imaginary is not taught in universities, although we of course know what universities are teaching, but by culture, but by cultures, insofar as it is carried in images, stories, and legends, that little part from Charles Taylor in a secular age. So in other words, the culture is being formed by the images, by the stories, by the legends that are important to us. People become secular not by taking classes in secularity 101, but by simply participating in a society that no longer refers to God the way it used to. God makes only rare appearances in contemporary literature art and television, and we would say that it's a very generic God who makes an appearance, right? Social imaginaries, then, are the metaphors and stories by which we live, the images and narratives that indirectly indoctrinate us. Making sense? Uh, yep, no. I'm not sure I understand. What can we do? What can we do about the condition of our world? Not much, really. I mean, sure, we can make a difference one by one, individually. And we all ought to do that. We ought to do it out of a heart that is following Jesus and would do it the way the Savior would do it. 
What, on the other hand, can we do about the condition of church, of the church? A great deal. And good news, that's what we're called to do. And that is the way, in fact, that we will impact the world, a topic we're going to engage next week. The social imaginary is related to the imagination. And we all know how our imaginations can get us into trouble, right? Unless they are tied to Scripture. Biblically informed and directed imaginations will take us much further in our understanding of God's transcendence and His ways in the world than we could go simply by reading and studying God's Word. Although, a biblically informed imagination is the result of understanding the great story that is in Scripture, and we understand God's story through reading and study. We're going to talk about this. It's going to be much clearer in home group this week. I hope it is anyway, when you get to it at that point. Van Hooser argues for a robust, Christian social imaginary that develops by using the language of Scripture. After all, we are not going to listen to the voice of another, right? But only the voice of the Good Shepherd. Uh, well, okay. Look, when our hearts and minds are not being formed by God's truth, we are especially prone to Satan's deception and temptation to the good life. That's how things are different than, in, than they were in Martin Luther's day. They saw Satan everywhere. We don't see him everywhere, but he is. And he's constantly tempting us to the good life. And then we become formed by the cultural metaphors that are so, that so easily roll off the tongue. Time is money. If you don't take care of yourself, ain't nobody else going to take care of you. What if instead we talked about taking up our crosses daily and we said to one another, esteem others better than yourself. When someone's really, I think, you know, what really frustrates me, frustrates me and you say, you know, the Lord calls us to esteem others better than ourselves. Look not only on our own interests, but on the interests of others. What if we said, God's maybe calling you just to go the extra mile, bro? What would happen if we started speaking to one another with biblical metaphors about dying to self and loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds, and building our houses on the rock rather than on the sand? The Word of God shapes the people of God according to the plan of God as the Spirit of God exalts the Son of God in the church of God. It's not that God is included in our lives, but He is our life. Jesus is our life. And we pursue Him. Last, Live as those who must give an account, but also live as those who will find joy in Jesus' return. Think about some of the days that are coming 
whether you want them to come or not. A doctor's visit, April 15th, your baby leaving for college. If you've prepared well, none of these visits must of necessity be unpleasant. Although, of course, especially in medical areas, we don't know what's down the road when we go. Things can go wrong, and sometimes there's nothing you can do to prepare. But we can surely prepare for the day when we're going to see Jesus. By living well? Yes! But more importantly, by believing How can we believe well? By putting ourselves under the flow of the word and the biblical metaphors and the images and the ways that God has spoken to us in his word and through our brothers and sisters in Christ who are all taking their cues as well from scripture. It is not our holiness that saves us, but Jesus' holiness and if his holiness does not work through us now, then it's probably going to be difficult to be confident about the day when we see him. If we believe in Jesus, and if we fully immerse ourselves in the culture of the covenant community that he has established, we will look for his return with joy. By no means am I proposing perfection. One of the beautiful gifts that God gives to his children is the gift of repentance. And when we confess our sin, he forgives us over and over and over and get over being embarrassed about confessing the same thing that you've confessed a thousand times in the last three weeks. He forgives you. That moment, it's all wrapped up in Jesus' cross. And he will begin to work holiness into your life. But you've got to make decisions. Is he going to be the boss? You're going to be the boss. And if he's the boss, then we are part of the process of helping each other live that way. His desire for us is to build our lives on the rock, and a wonderful motivation for doing so is for us regularly to collectively, corporately visualize Jesus' second coming. To, to talk about it so much, Paul said, when I was in Corinth, I preached Christ crucified before your eyes. It was so real that you could almost see it. We need to preach the second coming so that we can almost see Jesus <coughs> returning. For us. Will we give an account? Oh yeah. Will we find joy? Oh. Let's live in such a way. That that day can be anticipated with joy. The liturgies from every moment holy. That I've mentioned several times here before. Have helped me a great deal this past year. In my own spiritual formation. I've heard the same from. Several of you, Alice and I read the morning liturgy. There were three hours, three liturgies of the hours of the day. Daybreak, uh, 
midday and nightfall, and Alice and I read Daybreak this morning. And although we're going to have a more formal benediction in just a few minutes, I want to close this message with a benediction from the liturgy of Daybreak. And I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. So I read this. Now you who are loved of God, step forward into this new day, appointed by Him, that you might journey through its hours in the peace and the grace and the love of your Lord. And then, would you read with me? Lead us this day, Lord Christ, that we might walk its paths in the light of the hope Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your word is so clear. And it is so complex and so nuanced. And we are called to imbibe the truth, imbibe the spirit of the word that you have written. To drink deeply and be refreshed and to be changed. The more things change, the more Jesus stays the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. May our hearts be drawn to him. May he be exalted in our midst. And may we, as the church of God, pursue him. And in so pursuing, be attractive to the world around us. Engage them as we have opportunity. We yield our hearts afresh and anew to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.